Hello, Real Life family and friends. Thanks for joining us again today as uh, we just celebrate what God is doing. Even though we live in a fallen, broken world, we have an eternal hope in what God is doing and the best is yet to come for all of us. So I hope you're doing great. I hope your family's doing great. And today I want to start a new series uh, based on Jude, verse 20 and 21. Uh, Jude is an interesting book. It, it's only one chapter, so we're just talking about the verses in the first chapter. And I want to read these for you as we get started, and then I'll introduce the idea of our, our new series, okay? So Jude 20, 21 says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So the encouragement of this verse is that there is a way for us to remain in God's love, to stay in that space that's safe, that's full, um, that's filled with joy and confidence in the love of God. If we could just remain in the love of God and, and the encouragement is to live this way until Jesus comes back, right? And to do that, the encouragement in this is that we can build ourselves up in our faith and we can pray in the Holy Spirit. So I want to do a series starting today uh, called Building Yourself Up, right? So let's build ourselves up. I want you to build yourself up, all right? Not tear ourselves down or not waste away or not become apathetic or lazy, but to get stronger, to grow, to build ourselves up as the scriptures encourage us, to build yourself up in your faith and by praying in the Holy Spirit, you will remain in the love of God until Jesus comes again. And that's the way that we want to live life and experience life. So when we think about building ourselves up, there's some things that we can do to build ourselves up in our faith. All right. We build ourselves up in our faith through, first of all, the word of God. So we're going to be talking about that in this series. Also, we build ourselves up uh, through prayer. And I've got some exciting new things to share with you about prayer that I've been learning in my Hebrew studies. Also, we build ourselves up through learning how to live in the Holy Spirit. And so I want to spend a couple weeks talking about that, specifically about praying in the Spirit, um, how to engage in spiritual warfare uh, so that you're safe and you're free and your family's protected, and how to exercise spiritual gifts. All of these things build us up. They build ourselves up, okay? So I want to encourage you to engage in this series and to be ready to just take some steps forward to build your faith up so that you can remain in God's love and you can live the life that God's called you to live and uh, a victorious life, uh, an overcoming life and a strong life that we're going to build ourselves up in the faith. So today I want to start with the Word of God. One way to build yourself up is through reading, studying, discussing, thinking about, meditating, memorizing the Word of God. And so today we're going to look at um, what is the role that the body, Bible has in our lives? What is the role of the Bible in building our faith up? And how do you read the Bible? So I just want to give you some good tips today. And we're going to look at one Bible study method to help you to train ourselves so that we can glean the life that God has for us through his word. Um, and I want, to, I want to make a contrast. And, and to kind of paint this picture, I want to see how many of you can relate to this story. Uh, have you ever been to an amusement park, maybe Cedar Point or 
uh, Michigan Adventures. And you know how they have those uh, roller coasters and in, in, at the beginning of the line, there's a measuring stick. Oh man, when you're a little kid, that is your worst nightmare. You know, you're looking at that measuring stick from a distance or you're, maybe you're a parent of, of a child and you're like, oh Lord, please, please help them to be high enough, tall enough. Because if you go up to that measuring stick and you fall short of the mark, you're not allowed to ride on the roller coaster. And as a parent, your heart breaks and you're like, oh, my, my kid wants to ride that ride and they won't let him. Or if you're that little kid, if you remember, if you had that memory and you're like, oh man, I just wish I could have done that, but we didn't measure up. So in the Hobson household, we actually have a measuring stick too. <laughs> this is our measuring stick. Uh, this stick is about, man, what is this stick? 21 years old now, I think. And on each side, and of course we have five kids and there's only four sides to this piece of board. But on each, uh, each one of these sides is one of our kids' names. And on this one we had to share. So Remington and Eli are sharing this one together. And every year of their life, we marked out how tall they were. And so on all of, the, all of these little markings are our, our height. And of course, for a while, I had the the highest height, but uh, my son Peyton went flying by me a few years ago. But I remember, you know, my kids thinking, man, I wonder if I could be as tall as mom or as tall as dad someday. And we would say, well, you're right here. You're getting closer. And, uh, and we use this measuring stick. But some people view the Bible like the measuring stick, like the one at the amusement park. And when they look at that Bible, uh, they say, man, I'm, I'm falling short of that standard. It's impossible for me to reach that standard of righteousness or good enoughness. And when we view the Bible, and this is a bad way to view the Bible, it is an incorrect view of the Bible. We're really saying that the Bible is a rule book. And if I follow all the rules, then I qualify. I get to go on the ride. And for us as religious people, you know, people of faith, that means different things like this. Well, if I if I can achieve that standard, then I get, I'm saved, right? My sins are forgiven. Or then God's happy with me. Or maybe it's the thought, then God will hear my prayers or answer my prayers. And the opposite thoughts are there too with this erroneous way of looking at the word of God. Because I'm falling short, now God's mad at me. Or because I'm falling short, maybe I won't get to heaven. Or because I'm not reaching that standard, maybe God doesn't hear my prayers. Or maybe bad things should happen to me. I deserve bad things to happen to me. And do you see how bad that can turn out when we view the Bible as a rule book? Let me just share with you, that is the wrong way to view the Bible. And the Bible doesn't teach that it is a rule book at all. In fact, it's the opposite. It is a it's not a religious rule book. It is a relationship book. It is how to know God and how to access the life that God has for us. So religion gets in there, and this has happened throughout history. Religion gets in there and takes the, uh, the Bible, and it makes the rules, and it preaches you know, uh, conformity to the rules. These are the things you do. These are the things you don't do. And there's this kind of undercurrent understanding that you better do this or else, Right? I think we've all felt that tension. We've all felt that pressure. I mean, I just want to encourage you and say, that's actually not how we're to view the Bible. And so give you a couple examples. When people view the Bible this way, they see it like that measuring stick. And here's the things that we feel. We feel, well, I'm not good enough. 
I don't qualify. Uh, it can lead to these thoughts like God is upset with me. My prayers don't qualify. I'm not useful to God. God doesn't love me. I need to try harder. I need to do more. And, and sometimes after a lot of frustration and a lot of, lot of effort and failure to meet that standard, we might say stuff like this. Well, if this is who God is, forget it. We get mad, right? I don't want to have anything to do with this impossible standard. It's just not fair. Nobody can do it. And so we get all these different negative thoughts and so on because we're feeling guilty. We're feeling angry. We get frustrated. We have shame. And, and sometimes we get depressed because we don't measure up. But man, do I have good news for you today. It's never been about you and I measuring up to an impossible standard. It's been about you and I coming to the end of ourselves and trusting in Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the word of God on our behalf. All right, can I get an amen from somebody? This is about a relationship with God, not a religion, not a bunch of do's and don'ts, but how to experience God's love, how to access his promises, how to live a life of abundance through what Jesus has done, not what we need to do. So it's a completely different way of looking at the Bible. So I want to encourage you to switch your mind, change your mind from seeing the Bible as a rule book to a life book. All right. <clears throat> when the Bible is viewed as a religious book, um, you have this idea of rules needing to be obeyed um, instead of understanding that there's principles that we can access that lead to life. It can be personal, pursuing personal perfection instead of us receiving love and empowerment from God. And these are two totally different opposing ways of looking at the scriptures. Now, we know that the Bible is a relationship book because the book itself came alive, put on flesh and blood, and his name is Jesus. The word itself came alive in a person who is Jesus, the Son of God, is the Word of God itself. He is the Word made flesh, and He perfectly embodied the Word of God in human form. When He lived, He demonstrated a life that was lived perfectly in alignment with God's Word. He was the Word. He lived it in front of us. And every person He encountered experienced these life principles in a real way, through a real person, and people flocked to Jesus. They loved him. People were attracted to him. They felt his love. They felt the intensity of the truth that he was portraying and teaching and embodying, and they loved it, and they wanted him. He had crowds around him. The word was coming alive to people, and it was burning in their hearts, and they knew that this was real, this was true, this was authentic, they wanted him. They wanted Jesus. Wow. The only crowd that didn't want Jesus was the religious crowd. The ones that viewed this as a personal pursuit of perfection instead of a pursuit of God in a relationship with God. And so I want to encourage you to change your mind and to see the Bible differently so that you are motivated and drawn to reading it, studying it, because it will greatly change your life if you do, okay? So I want to talk about a word, and I've mentioned this before, but I, ha I have to do it again because it's such a powerful word that describes the Bible, and it is the word 
in English, we would say it Torah. You may have heard it. This is how I would spell it in English. In Hebrew, it's spelled from right to left. And I'm going to give you the letters. This is the Tav, Vav, Resh, Hey. It's four letters in Hebrew. And we read Hebrew from right to left. So this is how it would be, how it will look in a Hebrew Bible, the word Torah. Now, Torah is the description of the Bible. Okay, that's the word that's used to describe the words in this book. And I want to give you two different ways of understanding this word. One way is just it, the overall meaning of the word Torah comes from archery. And it means actually instructions. It means directions. And it means teachings. Okay, now the problem with this word is that most of our Bibles do not use these three words to describe or translate that word. They use the word law. Most of our Bibles, you'll see the word law and it's standing for the word Torah. But I don't like that translation at all. Just because of the connotation that it has in our mind, when we see law, we immediately think about do's and don'ts, penalties, punishments, right, rewards, all that kind of system that we just went through. We think about all the pressure to follow the law. This is a terrible translation. I'm just saying, as I've studied the Hebrew language, it really means instructions, directions, teaching, all of this is to help benefit where this gives us the, the picture of you better, right? This just speaks of punishment, of consequences, but this speaks of growing, learning, understanding, uh, pursuing, and that's really what Torah is. It is God giving us the instructions on how to have the most out of life. Of course, when we stray from God's instructions, when we stray from God's Torah, we're going to find pain, brokenness, death, evil, wickedness. That's what we get when we go off of God's directions, God's instructions, God's path. And so Torah means teaching, directions, instructions. But as I've studied this, and because as I mentioned a minute ago, it comes from Archery, the, the discipline of archery, which is shooting arrows, I like to think of Torah as the bullseye for life. If you hit this target, if you follow this teaching, if you follow this map for living, this direction, if you hit the bullseye, you are going to have more life every single time. If you hit the Torah, the directions of God for your marriage, for your finances, for your health, for your purpose, you will find life every time. Torah is the bullseye for life. So if you want to hit the bullseye for life, you want to know what the Torah has to offer. You want to follow it. Okay, so that's one way to look at Torah. The second way I want to define it is going back to an ancient um, way of understanding words, which is looking at the pictures of these words and describing what they represent. It's called uh, pictographic meaning. So the pictographic meaning of Torah, which is super exciting to me, comes from the pictures of these four letters. The ancient pictures of Tav is a cross or two sticks that are crossed. The ancient picture of Avav is a nail and it represents um, connecting 
uh, connecting things. Uh, it could be a tent peg as well. That's really what it, what it comes from. Uh, Reish uh, can be interpreted as a head or it can be figuratively known as like a prince, like the top person, right, of the family, prince. And then hey uh, is usually uh, described as the picture is a person with their uh, arms up, kind of looking at something almost like, look, everybody look up there, look at that. And it's usually translated as look or kind of with an exclamation point or behold, check this out. Attention, everyone. Okay. And when I look at this from right to left, one way to describe the pictographic meaning of the word Torah is this. To the cross is nailed the prince, the prince of heaven. Look, behold. And so this is a, an amazing goosebump moment for me. When I look at the word Torah, which describes all of God's teaching, the Bible, and I see that its meaning really is about looking at Jesus who is nailed to the cross, the entire revelation and point of the entire Bible is to show you that everything you will ever need, your salvation, your healing, your freedom, your life is going to be found by looking at Jesus on the cross. What did he do for you? What did he accomplish for you? What did he save for you? Who are you now in Christ, your new identity? It's all there. And Jesus is everywhere in the scriptures. You don't see his name, Jesus, 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 Jesus in the Old Testament, but you see him in the pictures. You see him in the foreshadowing. You see him in all the analogies. All throughout the scriptures, the Torah is actually pointing us to Jesus and what Jesus has done to set us free, to heal us, to redeem us, and to save us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the Prince of Heaven, right? To give his life for you and for me to redeem us out of the curse of sin and death and brokenness, out of self-identity into our God identity. In Christ, you have everything that you need for life and for godliness. That's what the Bible is about. It's not about rules. It's about a person. And that person's name is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. So when we engage with the Bible, when we engage with the word of God, we are engaging with a person. We are getting to know God himself. Wow. So this has nothing to do with rules. This is all about life and finding out how we can engage and access the life that Jesus has made possible for each and every one of us. So that's, why, that's my motivation for you before we even get into any more about the Bible, of how to read it, as why to read it. What is it all about? What is the role of the Bible in our lives? It is our access to a relationship with God. It is us having the ability to connect with God in a real way and let the words of God, the Bible, actually put on flesh again in us, that our flesh begins to be revived and renewed according to God's word, and we become like Jesus too. And we live in the good of God's word and the blessings that come with it. So I hope you're excited about that. So let's continue with today's message, okay? Jesus said this himself. In John 10, 10, he said, I have come. Now we know he's the word of God. He is the Torah itself. He shows up and he says this. He says, I have come right here. He says that they may have 
life, not religion, not rules. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. So we see the word of God actually taking on flesh and blood and speaking directly to us and saying, the reason I'm here is not to make sure you're following all the rules, is not to preach at you, but I am here to give you life and help you access life to the full, which is the whole point of the Bible and the word of God, is that you will be filled with life. You will experience life. You'll access the life abundant that God has made possible for you. That's the role the Bible has in our life, is to bring us alive. Amen? Come on. Oh, man, this is exciting. This could be uh, an incredibly pivotal moment in your life if you're tracking with what I'm saying. And up until now, you've seen the Bible as a rule book. And you've always felt negative feelings about the Bible because of the pressure it's made you feel under or the shame or the guilt or the falling short of the measuring that, that you felt internally. This could be an amazing pivot point in your life if you catch on to this idea that this Bible is not about all that. It's about you experiencing life, Jesus, more of his abundance in you. You know, when I think about different examples, trying to make this just kind of real practical to you and to me, I think of some different things like a fishing guide. I'm not a fisherman, but I've watched a couple of fishing shows. And I know that if you had a fishing guide, if you're a fisherman, you, you could get tips like this, like the location of the best places to catch fish, the depth of the water where the fish would be, the time of day to catch them, the type of lure to use to get those fish, the ideal weather, the right rod, the right string, the right equipment, right? All of those things so that what? So you can be successful at getting fish. Right? That's the whole point of the guide of fishing or the fish guide. If you're a coach, athletics, I'm more familiar with this area. You know, a coach would teach the, the athletes, his or her athletes, proper technique, skills and drills to increase their effectiveness, workouts to strengthen and improve their performance. They may even mention what to eat and drink and what to not eat and not drink to give them correct form, to teach them good strategy and game planning. Why? So that the athlete can maximize their potential and be successful. To be successful. That's why. And, if, uh, and I'm definitely not a cook, but you know, there's cooking guides out there to teach us the right ingredients for this recipe, the proper order of putting the ingredients together, right? The correct mixing, cooking, cooling, whatever they do in the kitchen. I don't even know. <laughs> but there's tips on what not to do. There's tips on the right temperature, on the amount of time to cook things, the right equipment, the right tools to use, right? The right way to prepare things. I remember one time trying to make cookies, okay? And the cookies looked great. Uh, they, they, all, they, they looked like great cookies, but I, I made one mistake. Instead of using a teaspoon of salt, I used a tablespoon of salt. Those cookies were horrible, horrible. And so the reason that we have cooking guides, right, is so that we will be successful in cooking. Don't use a tablespoon of salt. Use a teaspoon of salt. Now, I say all that to say this. God has given us a life guide, the word of God. If you want to experience an abundant life, if you want to be good at living, good at having love and joy and peace and purpose, 
and health. If you want that, then look no further than the Word of God for your life principles, for your life direction, your life guide, right? These are the instructions from the one who created you, who knows you better than you know yourself, and exactly what you need to prosper at this thing called life. That's what the Bible is. Word of God has principles for you to follow so you can be financially blessed, relationally blessed, uh, uh, maritally blessed, your children can be blessed, your health can be blessed. As we align our lives with God's word, we come more alive, okay? So that's my pep talk to you today. And now as we get into this a little bit, let's, the, let's listen to what the Bible has to say for itself. What does it do for us? I like this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. Everybody say God-breathed. All right, God-breathed. Yes, we know the scripture was written down, recorded, and authored by many different people. However, there is one author. It is the Spirit of God moving through different people who put these words together. So we believe, according to the Scriptures, that the Scriptures, all of them, are actually from God Himself through the vessel of humanity. All Scriptures God breathed and is useful for four things. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And there's a purpose, so that the man or woman of God, it says here, can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Bible is here to bless you, teach you, correct you, rebuke you, uh, train you, so that you are successful at living life and doing what God's called you to do. So let's look at training, for example. Training or teaching, I'm sorry, let's start with teaching. Teaching is instructions, the Bible has instructions on how to know God, uh, the way to live, and the work to do. And so it teaches us how to do this. Very practical. Exodus 18, verse 20 says, Teach them the decrees and laws, and show them the way to live, and the duties they are to perform. So I, I like this little phrase. It just kind of simplifies life a little bit. There is a God to worship, there is a way to live, and there is a, <laughs> a work to do. And if you're a man... There is a woman to love, right? So there's the worship. There is a, a God to worship. There's a way to live. There's a work and a purpose to do. And for men, there's a woman to love, right? And this simplifies our life. The, these, the, these ways and these purposes and, and uh, to, to love a person like a, a, your wife, to worship God, all of the instructions to be successful in all of those areas are in the scriptures. The Bible teaches us how to do these things. All right, the second one is rebuking. Now, rebuking is to declare what is sin and what not to do. Like all parents, we all rebuke our children for the same reason. Well, we should. And that reason is because we don't want them to get hurt. We see them doing something and we say, no, 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 don't do that. What is that? That's rebuking them. Say, do not do that. Why do we say that? Because we don't want them to get hurt. We know that if they just run willy-nilly out into the road and they're a little child, that they are in grave danger of a car hitting them. And so we get very animated 
And we teach them and we rebuke them if we ever see a child running towards the street or running in the street. They are rebuked immediately. Why? Not because we're, we're just mad at them for no reason. It's because we're trying to protect them and teach them. We're rebuking them. If you continue to do that, you will get hurt. And so when God rebukes us and the scriptures say, okay, here's, here's the directions, here's the instructions, but don't do this. It's not because God's trying to control our lives. It's because God loves us. And he says, if you do this, you will be harmed. You will be hurt. That's not the way to life. That's actually the way to death, right? And so the scriptures do that too. And it rebukes us. It identifies behaviors that are out of God's path or instructions that lead to our harm, right? Romans 6, 23 just says simply the wages of sin is death. When we sin, we experience death in all of its forms. It can be a broken relationship, broken trust, broken health, broken finances, right? When we stray, the, the problem is sin leads to death. The wages of doing sin uh, results in death. But the good news is the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, the opposite of rebuking is correcting. And correcting is not just saying to someone, don't do this, but teaching them the right way to do something. And so the Bible teaches us the right way to do something, not just tells, uh, tell us all the list of things not to do. It says, this is what you do instead. The solution to sin is not just not sinning. It's learning what the right thing to do is and doing that. There's a right way to live, as I mentioned before. And Proverbs 6.23 gives us the results of living the right way. It's called righteousness. It says, for these commands are a lamp. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life. So again, the, the Bible paints itself as like a flashlight or a map. Uh, the directions in order to walk in so that we can have something called life, right? The corrections of discipline are the way to life. And without the corrections of discipline, that's the way to death, right? And finally, the Bible talks about training, training in righteousness and practicing and growing in our capacity to trust in God, to follow his word results in us enjoying the fruitfulness of that obedience, Tapping into life itself. Proverbs 10, 16 says, the wages of the righteous is life. Compare that to Romans 6, 23, where it says the wages of sin is death. And Proverbs 10, 16 says the wages of righteousness or the righteous is life. Right? So that's why we're doing this. That's why we want to trust in God's word for all of these things. All right. I want to teach you real quickly a method to read the Bible, how to read the Bible, and how to gain um, just great insights from the Bible. And I'm taking this from uh, Rick Warren's uh, great work about Bible study tools. He has a book called Rick Warren's Bible Study Materials or Methods. And one of those methods is called the Devotional Method. So I want to give you the Devotional Method here real quick. And as we do this, the number one goal for you when you're reading the Bible, studying the Bible, is application of God's truth into your life. We're not just reading the Bible to get intellectually puffed up or just to gain knowledge, but we are looking to be transformed by the word of God, by adopting, applying 
God's word into our hearts, letting it transform our thinking, our attitudes, our character, our behavior, because God's goal is to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can experience the abundant life he has for us. James 1.22 summarizes it pretty clearly when he says, do what it says, right? And one of the ancient sayings of the sages is we study to learn to do. Right? There's a purpose to our reading of the Bible. There's a purpose to us studying the Bible. There's a purpose to our memorizing scriptures. We study in order to learn, in order to do, to put it into practice, as James says. And so that's what our main goal is here when we're reading the Bible and studying the Bible. The Bible shows us how to have a relationship with God. The Bible teaches us how to live life God's way. The Bible equips us to do what God has called us to do. And the Bible transforms us to become more like Jesus. So th this is the point of, of the scriptures, is to transform us and conform us, okay? So as we do this, just remember, studying the, God's word leads us to the application to our lives. And when we apply God's truth to our lives and it transforms us, we are more able to experience the will of God for our lives, which is more life, abundant life. Now, Jesus bumped into some guys who are very religious in this day, and he said this to them, Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. He says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Jesus says, you, you are in error. You do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You know who he's talking to? Surprisingly, he was talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees who more than anyone else of Jesus's day actually knew the scriptures. And Jesus is telling them, you don't know the scriptures. So what is he really saying here? Because they had most of the scriptures memorized. They were the teachers of the scriptures. They were the ones who taught everybody else what the scriptures said. But Jesus says, you're in error because you don't really know the scriptures or the power of God. So Jesus was making a distinction between their intellectual knowledge of the scriptures and the applicational knowledge or experience of the scriptures. And he's like, you don't really know. You might know up here in your head. You might have head knowledge of the scriptures. You might have a lot of verses memorized, or you may have read the whole Bible, or you might have all these great ideas up here. But if it hasn't transformed your heart, if you haven't gotten God's truth and revelation really deep inside of your heart and you're living it, you don't know it. You don't know it. And you really don't know the scriptures until you have put them into practice. Just remember that. It's not about stuffing a bunch of stuff in your head. This is about allowing the word of God to permeate and transform us from the inside out. It's the same way of knowing God. Knowing God, Jesus says, ah, even the demons know God. Even the demons know the scriptures, right? We're not talking about this kind of knowledge. Yeah, there's a God. Yes, God exists. Yeah, he's big, strong, powerful. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's like, even the demons know God. Even the demons know the scriptures. Even the demons are aware of these things. But to know God is to have intimacy with him, is to experience him. And God wants you to know him. He wants you to experience him. And he wants you to know his word. He wants you to experience his word. So that's what we're trying to do is try to find ways 
to apply to our heart, our mind, our attitudes, our character, our behavior, the truth of God that sets us free, sets us free. And so that's the main goal here. So as we get into this devotional method, I've got four steps for you. Step number one is before you're reading the Bible, we pray. We pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to give us the application to our life. It could be as simple as this, God, as I come before your word today, I want more of you in my life. I pray that you open my eyes to see your word and that, God, you would help to show me what you want to do in my life. God, help me to apply the truths into today, into my life, into my heart, into my mind, whatever you want to do, change, challenge. God, I am open to receive from you in Jesus' name. Speak to me, Lord. Amen. I mean, that, that would, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Just tell God, God, I'm hungry. God, I'm thirsty. God, I want to learn. I want to grow. I'm not just reading. I am looking for you to speak to me. Show me, God, what you want to do. Okay, that's the first step of the devotional method. We're going to have a devotion before God. Every day we're going to say, God, I am devoted to you. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be taught, corrected, rebuked, trained. Whatever you have in store for me today, here I am, Lord. Speak to me. Open my ears, open my eyes, soften my heart, God, right? Step number two is then you take out a passage of scripture. Uh, maybe you're reading through the Bible and it's just on your schedule, <clears throat> excuse me, or maybe you're doing a topical study or you're looking up a certain word, but whatever you're going to read, now you're going to read it and you're going to read it and meditate on it. And so meditating, let me just give you a couple of thoughts about that, is thinking over and over and over again on something mulling it over, digesting it mentally, um, emphasizing different words and just, just thinking about it. Not just reading through it, but just read it, reread it, read it slower, think about it as you're reading. And I'm going to give you some tips about how to do this, okay? But it's like basically muttering to yourself and thinking about it and looking at something from different angles. And you're, you're just letting God teach you as you're meditating on a verse. A lot of times I'll do this at bedtime, I'll, I'll read a verse and I'll just fall asleep thinking about it. And as I'm thinking about it, meditating and chewing on it, God speaks to me about it. It's really cool. It's really amazing. So meditate on a passage of scriptures is uh, step number two. Here's some tips. Visualize yourself in the scene in your mind. If it's an appropriate story or something, put yourself there. Put yourself right in the story. Take someone's place and ask yourself, what do you see? What do you hear? Smell? What do you feel? What questions do you have? What, what details are you curious about? Uh, look around in the scene. What do you see? I don't, just have fun with it and visualize, meditating on what must it have been like in that moment, in that story. Can you see yourself uh, as Peter when Jesus was walking on the water and, and, and you're in the boat? Now all of a sudden you take Peter's place and Jesus is looking at you. It says, Tim, hey, come on out. And you're like, is that you, Lord? Yeah, it's me. Come on out. And you begin, you look down, you're on the boat, you see the waves, you see the wind, you see the water. You're like, what? Is he calling me to come out there in the water? And you start to take your step and you're looking at Jesus. Can you, can you see the scene? And you begin to put yourself in the Bible and then begin to experience what's happening. And God will speak to you. He'll speak to you. It's awesome. So that's one good tip. Another tip is to emphasize different words in a verse. For instance, you could be talking about just a, a simple verse like, for God so loved the world. And you could be like, for, for. 
for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. Not just loved, he so loved the world. You know, and you just kind of think about each word separately as you read through it again, emphasizing a different word. And you might see several different ways of understanding uh, the scriptures of what God is saying. In fact, we have my journals, um, my, my Bible journals available for you if you want to try it. That's how those journals work. We have them here at the church to help you meditate and memorize on God's word. We emphasize each word as we work through a verse together. Okay, another idea or tip is to paraphrase in your own words. How would you summarize the passage you're meditating on and thinking about? What words or thoughts or analogies come to your mind if you had to explain this to someone else in your own words. In fact, when I look at Torah and I, I summarize that, um, I came up with this through studying and thinking and meditating. And now when I think of Torah, I think of this phrase, the bullseye for life. I didn't read that somewhere. I, I came up with that idea from meditating and thinking and merging all these different thoughts together in my mind. And now when I teach Torah, I always say it's the bullseye for life. If you want to hit the target for life, you want, you want to hit Torah, right? And that didn't come from somewhere else. It just came from me meditating and, and dwelling on it. God speaking to me and just bringing it together in my heart. I'll never forget it because it came to me as I was meditating on it and praying. It really helps me. And that's what God will do for you too. Another tip for meditating is personalize it by putting your name in the scriptures. Maybe instead of saying, for God so loved the world, we say, for God so loved Tim. And all of a sudden, whoa, hold on a minute. It becomes really personal. And all of a sudden, God is talking right to you. And maybe you put your name in, into a promise and, uh, and, and you begin to exchange this conversation with God and it's super personal. Okay, that's awesome. Maybe you pray a verse back to God in a personal way. Maybe you're just saying, God, I thank you that you so loved me. That you gave your son for me. Thank you that there, you went to the, the extreme to, to rescue my heart. God, I just, I'm so grateful for your love for me. You see how much more personal that is than just saying God so loved the world that Jesus died? No, God so loved you too. And that he died for you, for your sin to redeem you and to rescue you. It's just awesome when we, you have these tools to grow our faith. Remember, we're building ourselves up. And when you start to study the Bible and use this devotional method, you're going to be building yourself up in your faith. You're going to be hearing God speak to you and you're going to be getting corrected or you're going to be getting taught or you're going to get rebuked or you're going to get trained and it's going to be building you up. It's going to be keeping you safe. It's going to be putting you on that next level that God wants to put you on in life. And also another tip here before we move on to step three is to ask good questions. Here's a list of questions for you. Is there a sin to confess? Is there an attitude to change? An example to follow? Is there an error to avoid? Is there something to praise God for? Is there a promise to claim? A command to obey? A prayer to pray? A truth to believe? These are just some good questions that you can ask yourself as you're reading and meditating on a passage of scripture, okay? Step three, after you've prayed, after you've meditated, now you write down your thoughts and what God is saying to you. What is the application uh, to your life now? How are you going to do it, as James says? How are you going to put it in practice? What's going to be different because of what you've just read and engaged with God with, right? So write something down, get a journal, 
uh, write down these steps. First of all, when you pray, just put a check mark or you can write your prayer out if you want. Second thing is when you're meditating, just write in your own words, what did you just get out of that time of meditation? Write in your own words. Oh, God was saying this and that, and wow, I see this differently, and da-da-da-da. And then when you get to the application, write down, now what? What are you going to do? Make it personal, make it practical, uh, make it possible, and make it measurable, okay? So that it's something specific, it's personal, and you can do this. It might just be forgiving someone. It might be, um, you know, uh, changing an attitude. Or it might be just receiving a promise. Or it might be doing something physically. But whatever it is, as God speaking to you, he will give you directions so that you become more like Jesus. You're being transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus. And finally, step four is to memorize a key verse or a phrase from that passage so that it sticks in your heart, so that it stays with you. Proverbs 4, 21 and 22 says this, Do not let them, my words, do not let the words of God, do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. Right? When we talk about memorizing stuff, we're always like uh, saying, well, do you have it? Do you know it by heart? Do you, isn't that an interesting phrase? Do you know it by heart? We don't say, do you know it by mind? We say, do you know it by heart? Is it in your heart? And so the Bible says, don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. You see, the words of God are life to you. They are health to you. So let's memorize them. Let's get them in our heart, not just our mind, but get them from our mind into our heart by memorizing them and meditating on them and then putting them into practice. So that's today's message. I hope that you take some steps forward. I want to challenge you to build yourself up in your faith, to exercise your faith, build yourself up. And today we've talked about one of the ways to build ourselves up is through the word of God. Get your Bible out, all right, and begin to practice the devotional method this week. Even if you only do it for five or 10 minutes a day, that's a great start. Start building yourself up. You got to do one push-up before you do five, right? You got to do five before you do 10. You got to start somewhere. So start somewhere this week. Get your Bible out. Pray, God, talk to me. Read and meditate on a passage. Write down what God says to you and then do it and meditate and memorize a passage or a verse to get it into your heart and build yourself up. And today, if you're watching this, and you've heard me talk about how much God loves you, how much God wants you to know him, not know him intellectually, but know him intimately in a personal relationship, that this isn't about religion. This is about knowing him, knowing him personally, that Jesus came to rescue you, to save you, to love you. And you may say, man, I feel like I know all these things, but I don't know him. I just want to pray a prayer for you right now that you will know him uh, not just know him in your mind, but you'll know him in your heart. You'll experience the presence of God, the love of God, and the life of God. And we do that by placing our faith in Jesus, trusting in him, not our religion, trusting in what he has done, not what we've done, so that he is our savior. He is the one uh, who, who redeems us and sets us free. And if that's your heart, you say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to know God. I want to know him and experience him. Then pray this prayer with me right now, would you? Say, Jesus, 
I come to you today and I want to know you and I want to experience you and the life that you have for me. I surrender my own pride, my own ego, my own self uh, efforts, and I recognize that all I need to do is place my faith in you and trust in you for what you have done on my behalf. Lord, forgive me of all my sin. Wash me clean of all my transgressions. Forgive me, Lord. I give my life to you. Fill me with your spirit so I had the power to live this new life you've called me to live. I'm all yours in your name. Amen. Amen. And I want to pray a prayer for all of us, just for the word of God to come alive to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you came alive and you embodied the word. You were the word that put on flesh. And now, Lord, may your spirit help us become that flesh that puts on your word as well. God, may you just stir up a fresh desire and hunger for everyone watching and listening to this uh, message today, that your word will come alive. And if, if the Bible has been viewed by us as a rule book, I pray that you set us free from that thinking today and give us a desire to know and read and study and meditate and memorize on your word that sets us free and fills us with life. May you help us, Lord, to establish this healthy tool in our daily lives so we can be built up in our faith and that we can remain in your love throughout our lives. We thank you for this tool. We thank you for your spirit, your presence, and your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I want to pray that God's blessing over you uh, now as I always do. And also, we are still raising money for our capital campaign in order to to uh, have a new parking lot and new sign and some new bathrooms. Uh, so just continue to pray about that. If you'd like to be a giver uh, and invest in the kingdom here at Real Life, uh, you can do that online. You can come in person and do that as well. But we're really excited and we're looking forward to all the great things that God has for our future. Also, I just want to throw out the date, September 12th. Remember that date because that is our 40th anniversary. And we're going to be celebrating 40 years together this, this fall on September 12th, and we hope everybody can come together and be a part of that celebration. All right, let me bless you before you go right now with the Lord's blessing, okay? And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in his name. Amen, amen. Love you. Hope you're doing great. Hope to see you soon. God bless.